Good morning. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for gathering us together this day. What a blessed place to be with your people. Gathered together to worship your son. To bow before you in humble adoration. To thank you for being so good to us. Oh, Father, would you increase our faith. Would you help us to hope in you? We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15? St. Paul, the Apostle's letter to the saints at Rome. Chapter 15. <clears throat> Having gone through an extended sequence of complex theological argumentation, Paul begins to wind down his letter to the Romans. And with fatherly concern and exhortations to these Gentile saints, he offers exhortations to patience, comfort, and hope. Please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The great apostle writes, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ." Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the, God of glory, or to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. And you may be seated.
Well, the great apostle taught that the highest Christian virtue is love. Remember, and now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But tied for second place in the compendium of Christian virtues is hope. Thank you for that meditation on faith this morning, brother. That was blessed. But tied for second place in the compendium of Christian virtue is hope. In his Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most about the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, but something like it can be seen at work in other matters. Health is a great blessing. But the moment you make health one of your main direct objects, you start becoming a crank and imagining that there's something wrong with you. You're only likely to get health provided you want other things more. Food, games, work, fun, open air. In the same way, you will never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. Sadly, many of us are so tethered to this world and the things it offers that we scarcely take thought of the world to come. Yet, it is precisely by reflecting often on the joys, beauties, and satisfactions of eternal life in the world to come that we find a hope that empowers us to live fully for Christ today. In Christian theology, that term hope has two main senses. Please listen carefully. It can refer to the object of hope, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our hope, and all that his triumphant return entails. He is our hope. He is the resurrection and the life. Or it can refer to the attitude or the outlook of hoping. In verse 4, that we just read, the great apostle declares the primary purpose, the goal, the telos, the end of the Bible. 
We might say in verse 4 there, Paul is answering the question, what is the Bible for? Or what is the Bible supposed to do? And the answer to those questions is, the Bible is supposed to teach us to hope. Verb. On the only, in the only true hope. Noun. Do you understand? The Bible is to teach us to hope in the only true hope. The reason God gave us the Holy Scriptures is so that we will hope in Jesus. Paul writes, whatsoever things were written in the past or aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The New International Version translation reads, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And Paul's Greek there is elpis, which verbally, the lexicon explicates this way, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. What's your hope? It's going to all work out. If Mr. Lewis was here, he would say, God's going to set everything right. Listen, did Paul and Peter know that their writings were or would become Holy Scripture? Did they know? I used to think no. But as Brother Sal often reminds us, we're all wrong about something. About some things. And I've now come to think, yes. Listen, there's no doubt that Paul understood the astonishing nature of the divine revelation that God gave to him. He, he understood. Somehow he was given beatific vision to see into the heavenly realm. And the radiance of Jesus temporarily blinded him. You remember this? God knocked him off of his high horse. And later, he had visions so profound that he was unsure if he was spiritually transported to the heavenly realm. Maybe so. Or whether he was just in some sort of a visionary trance state. And while he was in that state, divine revelation was imparted to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he wrote, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. 
I'll boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I'd be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, or I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 6. That's the New International Version. So listen, there's no doubt that Paul understood the astonishing nature of the divine revelation that God had given him. Paul wrote, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach to you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by a revelation from Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. Then, in Galatians chapter 2, he writes, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. I went in response to a revelation and set up before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those that seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, compelled to be, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ and to make us slaves. But we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. And I was very eager to do that. Well, that's in Galatians chapter 2. So listen, I believe Paul understood what he was. He was a revelator of the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. He was, friends, our apostle. Now, we know that Paul spoke authoritatively because in his writings, he says, to the rest speak I, not the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians seven twelve. Did you get that? To the rest speak I, not the Lord. The implication being that the Lord was speaking to the Corinthians through Paul. And that the words immediately after, to the rest speak I, not the Lord, are Pauline counsel. Qualified by Paul as not on the same level of authority as what 
I said before. Did you understand that? He didn't have to put that in there, but he did. In the revelation of St. John the Divine, the revelation, John the Beloved has letters dictated by God to him, by Jesus. Write this down to the church at Laodicea. Here's the letter. You got your pen? Letters for specific first century churches. And John has angelic messengers tell him, write this. And he has an angelic messenger tell him, don't write that. Don't. Is that Holy Scripture? Did John know? In his second letter, the Apostle Peter refers to the writings of St. Paul. Peter does. And he says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which those who are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. Now, brothers and sisters, if I just read that right, St. Peter the Apostle references St. Paul the Apostle's letters, quote, his epistles, and compares them to the other scriptures. I think I just heard Peter call the Pauline letters scripture. Did they know? I say yes now, Eric. I've become convinced that the apostles knew that their writings were sacred writ, holy scripture. But listen, usually, usually in the New Covenant writing, when an apostle refers to the scriptures, usually when that happens, He's referring to the Old Testament, to the Torah, to the histories, the prophecies, the poetries, the wisdom literature given to the Old Covenant people of God. Usually when an apostle in the New Testament refers to the scriptures, he's referring to this. I believe that's the case in Romans 15.4. When Paul says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now, Do you remember that burning heart incident right after the resurrection when Jesus walked with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus? Dr. Luke records this, listen. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, 
which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said to them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God, and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, just as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he, that is Jesus, said unto them, O fools! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as if he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, and took bread, and blessed it, and brake it, and gave it to them, that their eyes were opened. And they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures by the way? Luke 24, verses 13 through 32. Now, beloved, listen, we've noted before the books of Moses are at the beginning of the Old Testament. And the books of the prophets are at the end of the Old Testament. So beginning at Genesis and going all the way to Malachi, Jesus showed his disciples himself in Holy Scripture. And listen, listen. The timing of that revelation was before any of the apostolic epistles had been written. It was just right after the resurrection. They didn't have this whole part of, they didn't have any of this part of the Bible yet. It just had this. And he started at the beginning of that and went all the way to the end. And the whole book was about him. 
Listen, friend, this book, it's all about Jesus from here to here. And according to St. Paul, our apostle, the purpose of this book, its goal, its telos, its end, is to encourage us and give us hope. Hope. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. James reminds us to consider the patience of Job. James 5.11 Job, who under many afflictions was triumphantly patient. And James's conclusion is, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Patience and comfort. From where? From the Scriptures. From the Scriptures. Consider Abraham and Isaac and Jacob patiently waiting as sojourners, embracing the covenant promises of God in a strange land. Eric just read Stephen's sermon to us. What's he doing? He's finding hope in the Scriptures. What about Peter's sermon and Acts sermons? What about Paul's sermon in Romans? A sermon about Abraham that you read this morning? Consider Joseph patiently enduring the rigors of Egypt, bearing the false accusation of his master, forgiving the sin of his brothers, showing and showing the inscrutable sovereignty of God on behalf of his people. As Joseph learned, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it to pass all the way to this day to save much people. Alive. Genesis 50 20. You didn't even know what you were doing. Oh, beloved, is there any encouragement in the scriptures? Is there any hope for us there? What about Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Rahab and the judges and that blessed Moabite? Ruth. What about Samuel? And then David in many trials refusing to injure his persecutor. Why don't you just kill Saul in the desert? David knew how to kill. He was pretty good at it. Patiently awaiting the crown. What about Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What about them? What about all the prophets? Listen, friend. We should study this book. 
We should study this book for comfort, for patience, for encouragement, to the end that we may hope in Jesus. The Old Covenant Scriptures teach us of Enoch walking with God, of Abram finding God his shield and exceeding great reward, of David encouraging himself in his God, of Hezekiah spreading the letter before God. Look what they wrote! Of the Hebrew children refusing to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol. And so much more. Beloved, listen, Paul is teaching that we Christians, we Christians, we, we should be people of the book. The Bible book. And listen, if we are, when we are, we will be hopeful people. Now listen, you know what that word hopeful means, don't you? It means full of hope. Hopeful. Full of hope. Listen, beloved, Jesus is the capital W, Word of God. And the more we are filled with Jesus, the more we'll be filled with hope. And the more we're filled with the Word, the more we'll be filled with hope. And this book, it's a book of hope. Do you recall the hope of salvation? But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 What about that blessed hope? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11-13. What about the hope of the resurrection from the dead? When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, that's why I'm called into question. Acts 23, 6. What about the hope of glory? The mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. What is it? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Beloved, listen, listen. 
If our hope is grounded in some utopian vision of humanity, oh my. If our hope is grounded in that, I'd imagine we have much ground for doubt now in these days as human progress has now brought us to such an enlightened state that our countrymen are now vivisecting their children rather than training them up in the way they should go. Yeah. Yes, I do think there's a satanic conspiracy to trans our children and then butcher them. And I'm against it. We need to love them and to teach them the truth. Men and women, boys and girls are image bearers of God. And they're glorious and they're different and they're beautiful. Beloved, listen. The Enlightenment spawned many hopes of human progress. And then, in the 20th century, with the invention of the machine gun, And the atom bomb, the 20th century showed us the pinnacle of human progress was our ability to kill more and more and more of our fellow creatures faster and faster and faster. And the demons laughed and the earth drank the blood of more of God's image bearers than ever before. A century Dipped in blood. Flooded with blood. In our progress, we legalized the slaughter of our infants and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools and hoped in the vain idol of human progress rather than in Jesus of Nazareth the Son of the living God. Friend, listen. Human depravity and sinfulness is the most empirically proven doctrine of the human faith, or the Christian faith. And yet, and yet, we still often, me and you, often We want to put our hope in human progress. (laughs) Solomon, the son of David, observed, there is nothing new under the sun. And he wrote, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Ecclesiastes 1.14. And listen, friend, the Davidic answer is not hope in human progress. It is hope in Jesus. It is hope in God. So the psalmist sings, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me, O my soul? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him. He is the health of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43, 5. There's a little 
talking cure, Dr. Freud. Talk to yourself. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Calm down. Hope in God. He'll make your countenance better. He's the strength of my soul. He's my God. Saints, are you in need of patience, encouragement, comfort, hope? Are you? Well, listen, here's a concrete pastoral recommendation for you and for me. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Internalize it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Marinate your mind in the Scriptures. Listen, it will give you hope. It will make you hopeful. It will make you full of hope. Now, I can't guarantee anything, but a holy apostle said that, not me. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. Blessed be the everlasting God, the Father of our Lord. Be His abounding mercy praised, His majesty adored. When from the dead He raised His Son and called Him to the sky, He gave our souls a lively hope that we should never die. And though our inbred sins require our flesh to see the dust, yet as the Lord our Savior rose, so all His followers must. There's an inheritance divine reserved against that day. Tis uncorrupted, undefiled, and cannot waste away. Saints, by the power of God, are kept till the salvation come. We walk by faith as strangers here till Christ shall call us home. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Glorious Jehovah, O covenant God, all Thy promises in Christ are yea and amen, and all shall be fulfilled. Thou hast spoken them, and they shall be done. Thou hast commanded, and they shall come to pass. Yet I have often doubted Thee, have lived at times as if there were no God. O Lord, forgive me that death in life when I have found something apart from Thee, when I've been content with ephemeral things. Through Thy grace I have repented. Thou hast given me to read my pardon in the wounds of Jesus, and my soul doth trust in Him 
my God incarnate, the ground of my life, the spring of my hope. Oh, teach me to be resigned to thy will, to delight in thy truth, to have no will but thine, to believe that everything thou doest is for my good. Help me to leave my concerns in thy hands, for thou hast power even over evil and bringest from it an infinite progression of good until thy purposes are all fulfilled. Oh, bless me with Abraham's faith that staggers not at thy promises through unbelief. May I not instruct thee in my troubles, but glorify thee in my trials. Oh, grant me a distinct advance in the divine life. May I reach a higher platform, leave the mists of doubt and fear below in the valley and climb to the hilltops of fellowship with my Savior by simply believing that he cannot lie or turn from his purpose. Oh, give me the confidence that I ought to have in him, him who is ever worthy to be praised and who is blessed forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.